Scripture today comes from Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and the messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the cleft of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men of, of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day you sit aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates, and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother, in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Savers shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. 
and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Uh, before I introduce our guest speaker, uh, we have a couple of newcomers joining us today. Uh, we have Annie and Say. Uh, if you guys can raise your hand so we can find you. All the way in the back, Say and Annie. Let's give them a warm welcome. We also have Alexis. Uh, I believe they're a friend of the Jays. Alexis, if you can raise your hand. She's right there behind Tim. Let's give her a warm welcome. We're glad you guys can join us for worship today. Please stick around uh, for some fellowship after. Uh, so it's my privilege of introducing our second guest speaker. Um, we have Pastor James, uh, who is literally coming from, uh, to us from across the street at the Akara community, which is part of the Pilgrim Community Church. He is married to Penelope and have two children, uh, Evelyn and Theodore. He was born in Korea, raised in Australia. He's been living in the U.S. for the past eight years. And I said this at 9 a.m., but the first time I met Pastor James a couple of years ago, I was really thrown off when I was talking to him because of his accent. And I guess you guys will see. But he, he's graciously uh, filling in the pulpit for us this morning. So let's please uh, welcome, welcome Pastor James. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's a, a privilege and a blessing to be here. I am from across the street. Um, we've been, uh, we, I've known of this church and we've been praying for this church for the many years we've been here. And I would expect the same of you guys to pray for us as well. What a blessing it is to have uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to come into community together, although we're from different churches. But anyway, let's share the word of God this morning together. Uh, today's sermon is called To Edom and the Nations. Uh, the vision of Obadiah is a message of condemnation to the Edomites. The nation of Edom was a neighboring country of Judah to the south, and its elevated geography was a natural barrier to foreign enemies, armies, or whatever. The only natural causeway was through a narrow passage of land and was easily defended by a handful of men. Because of this strategic advantage they were living in, uh, the Bible says, lofty dwellings, lofty dwellings. Believing that they were impenetrable from outsiders. What they failed to consider was God Almighty, who stood against them from on high. Jeremiah verse 49, 20 says, Therefore, hear the plan that the Lord has made against Edom and the purpose that he has formed against the inhabitants of Teman. Teman is the name of the largest clan of the Edomites. Just as the word Judah is used to describe all the people of Israel, here it is used to describe the people of Edom. And the message is clear. God has a plan. God has a plan to destroy and to devastate the people of Edom, to take away that precious land that they have. And so what has caused this calamity against them? Let's take a closer look. You know, the structure of Obadiah is such that the impending destruction, right, the judgment of God is mentioned first. Verse 1 says, rise up against her for battle. So the author says, 
Perhaps it shows the certainty of what is to come. But nevertheless, we learn of the reason for this destruction. Right? This calamity has come because of what is stated in verse 10. They are subject to the wrath of the nations because of the violence that was done to their brother Israel. The Edomites and the Israelites shared a common bloodline. The people of Eden were descendants of Esau, whereas the Israelites were the descendants of Jacob. All right, that story put aside, Esau in his own life was blessed greatly. He was given riches, possessions, wealth that is beyond comparison to anyone, right? This is one family that had become a great nation. So much wealth and possession had come into his life that he had to move away from living next to his brother Jacob, right? Later on in their lives when they were living next to each other. And so Esau moved towards the hill country of Seir, which was now called Edom, right? Little did he know at this time that this would be the very place that his descendants and his offsprings would be wiped out from the face of this earth. Now, so much goes for moving on up. I don't know if there's anyone here who aspires to move on up. But this is an example of what moving on up in the Bible talks about. Now, this relationship that the Edomites had with the Israelites, this brotherhood, you know, in the Bible, the Word of God, family is of great importance. Do you know why? Because God created the family unit, right? God created family. And it's so true that you learn to love one another where first? In your family, right? You learn to love your parents. You learn to love your siblings. Is it any wonder that the church itself is called a place that is filled with what? Brothers and sisters. Are we not a family of God? Since God views family so highly, the care that we have for one another, the care that we have for our kindred is of great importance to the Lord as well. First Timothy says in, in 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Can you see that word there? Relatives. Not, not even immediate family, your relatives. Think about that one cousin that you really don't like, that you have beef with. And yet God calls us, God calls Christians to show the love of God, right, to our extended family. In truth, we're called to love our enemies. Then how much more we're called to show the love of God to our family as well. The Edomites were distant relatives of the Israelites. So their violence against them is like that of a betrayal against a family member. And because it is like that of a betrayal to a, someone who's in your blood, it stands against as an affront to God. 
Right? The reason why God is angry, why God is punishing them, is because they have broken this covenant. But how did the Edomites show violence towards their brothers? Well, the very next verse, verse 11, shows us the events of 586 B.C. When the Babylonians came to siege and captured the city of Jerusalem. This catastrophe was aided by the Edomites as they took advantage of the situation by not siding with their brothers, the Israelites, but siding with the Babylonians. Now, what made it worse was the fact that the Edomites themselves not only watched on as, as the city of Jerusalem fell, but they also participated in the downfall of God's people. They did this by boring off the southern exit of that city, capturing the escaping Israelites, and then passing them on to the Babylonian army, selling them into slavery. What was worse they entered the city, they entered the temple, and they plundered it themselves. The Edomites, as the verse describes, is like one of them, one of the Babylonians. You know, the phrase that really comes to mind for me here is that they took advantage of the misfortunes of others. They took advantage of a situation that was going down south. You know, and the sad reality is the world, when you take advantage of a certain situation, will applaud you for what you did. Right? The world celebrates people who take advantage of others and find success. But not the Word of God. The Edomites' concern for their own safety and security was of greater importance than their care for their distant brothers. And this is an affront to God. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus once remarked on a similar story as he talked about the Good Samaritan, a story that we should know fairly well. Here, a neighbor, a stranger, cares for the welfare of someone else. These stories are very much parallel because the Samaritans were long-lost relatives of the Israelites, although the Israelites did not consider them their kin. Now, if you look at this story, you might remember that the question that had been asked of Jesus at the time goes something like this, right? But he, the teacher of the law, designed to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? Consider this question that he is asking. Why was this teacher of the law, this man of the law, trying to justify himself? Justify himself. He was doing so because he believed that he was doing everything according to the law of God. That he was practicing love and care for his neighbor. He believed that he was doing everything perfect and he wanted Jesus to commend him for his good actions, for his good behavior. But what is the result of what Jesus teaches him? This man, this teacher of the law, is far from living in perfection. In fact, it appears that he doesn't even love any of his neighbors. Right? You have the appearance of someone who is living in holiness, 
but nothing to show for it. I don't know if you want to agree with me on this. It is one thing to know the law, and yet it is another to practice the law. It is another to do the law. It is another to live within the law of God. Now look at the counterparts to this story. The priest and the Levite. Their concern was self-preservation. Right? There was a man who was dying on the other side of the road. And God forbid that I come in contact with this individual that I might become unclean. For my security, for my comfort, I am going to go on the other side of the road. Right? This is exactly what's happening with the Edomites. They see an awful situation playing out. You have the Babylonian army. It looks undefeatable. Right? God forbid they come and attack us. Let's take advantage of this situation and let's side with them. The Edomites were like the priest and the Levite, looking after themselves. My self-interest, my self-preservation, my goals, my desires, my wishes, my hopes, my life. You know, we might never truly know the intentions behind the actions of the Edomites who watched on and participated in the downfall of God's people. But the introduction to Obadiah makes it quite clear. What was happening, pride was deceiving them. Pride Pride was deceiving them. Where did this pride come from? Well, the Edomites were a nation that were renowned for their wisdom, for the accumulation of wisdom. They were, they were the wisest people of that land, right? Much like people here in Nova, right? And we have a, very, a lot of intellectuals, maybe too many, right? <laughs> a lot of people go to UVA, Virginia Tech, and every other college, And it is this that God says in verse 8 that he will, what? Destroy. The very things that they took pride in, the land that they had, the geographical advantage that they had, the wisdom that they had accumulated, they thought they knew everything. Right? These are the things that God says that he is going to destroy. Things that they thought of themselves as being of great value, God says, I am going to destroy all of that. That thing that you take pride in. The thing that you describe yourself as. The titles that you put before yourself. Because in a real sense, what God's punishment and judgment against the Edomites it's not necessarily because they didn't help the Israelites. Right? If you know the story, what's going to happen? The Israelites are going to be destroyed and taken into captivity anyway. In a real sense, what the problem with the Edomites is who they were. Who they were. How they were living their life in opposition to God. Standing against him and his people, believing and trusting in their own wisdom and security. This was the main reason for their destruction. 
This whole passage in Obadiah is but one example of what happens when you idolize the world instead of worshiping God. And for everything that you've done, God says he will bring it to their head. So when you read in verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations, you shouldn't be surprised. This turn in verse 15, you know, we're talking about the people of Edom. We're talking about those specific people. But in verse 15, there's a turn, and it says, all the nations. We shouldn't be surprised to read that because the truth is, the Edomites are one example of such a life. There are other nations who act exactly the same way. There are people here today who want to live within their own accolades, their own self-worth, who values themselves above Christ. So Obadiah is a message against the nation of Edom, but the content of that message is one that is real and near to us. So what, what is the message that Obadiah has for the nations? It is clear from the beginning that although Edom and the Babylonians had made a covenant with one another, right? They made a pact, an agreement, right? We're going we're gonna to fight the Israelites and we're going to take them away so you guys side with us. They believed that they were in control of the situation. They believed that they were the masters of their own design, right? But ultimately what happens? All of this, as Obadiah tells us, is going to be undermined by what we read at the beginning by what? The plans of God, the will of God, right? Here's the thing, here's the thing. The Babylonians may believe that capture and captivity of God's people will be for their own benefit, but here's the thing, God's in control. God's in control of your life. God is in control of everything. Do you guys know what happens when the Israelites are taken into captivity? Do you not know that they are prosperous and they grow and, and this abundance of God's love is poured over to them? Do we not know that God is with them in Babylon as he was with them in Jerusalem? Do you not know that he was with us in the fire? All these things reveal to us that God is everywhere and God is for all intents and purposes He's in control. He's in control over our lives. You know, as we talk about nations, as we talk about these authorities and powers, you know, what came to mind was this sort of verse that for some of us, we get confused at. Um, Romans 13 says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And the confusion lies in the fact that nothing is said about those governing authorities. When the Israelites lived in captivity in Babylon, the city and its magistrates were still pagan worshippers. They were enemies of God. In fact, Babylon was the hub for idolatry as they brought in various gods from all other territories. And yet, and yet, God calls on his people to remain faithful to him regardless of these individuals. And the Israelites face hard, severe punishment for standing up for their faith. And yet these happen for the glory of God. 
You know, when we read this verse out of context, we fail to uphold the one who placed those powers on high, right? We shouldn't be looking at the governing authorities. We should be reading the rest of the verse. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So rather, the verse states that God... God is the one who is in control. Since God is in control, since our God is a good God, regardless of the foolishness and the wickedness of these authorities and the powers that are above us, all we have to do is trust in the Lord. All we have to do is remain faithful to God. We have to trust in the Lord's deliverance from whatever powers may be. When you trust in the Lord and not in the powers to be, this is what faithfulness looks like. When you trust in the Lord, and you stop trusting in your own ability, your own skills and talents, your own self, when you trust in the Lord, beyond what, who you are and what you've done and You know, here's what might have been a better outcome for the Edomites. A better outcome for the Edomites. Should they have feared the Lord instead of this invading army, understanding that God is in control, what do you think would have happened? They would have been captured. They would have been destroyed like the Israelites. But wouldn't God, our God, who's loving, have pity on them? Would he not show his mercy towards them? Would they not have been included in the promises of God who wants to bring all nations to himself, right? In Isaiah 49, 6, one example, he says, it is not enough for you to be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to bring my salvations to the ends of the earth. The vision of Obadiah then surely shows to the captives in Babylon, that although it might appear that there are authorities and powers above us, although it might appear that someone else is in control, although it might appear that the people in the capital are running this country, God sees all, God knows all, and God's are all things. Everything runs through His hands. God is in control. Now, the great sadness of the failure of Eden is the fact that they're not alone in their failures. A great many nations even today have fallen to the idolatry of national pride. They seek for their own glory to the devastation of others. Most recently, the war in Ukraine came at the hands of a powerful nation seeking to control its own security and comfort. Geographical and economical advantages but at what cost? Right now, the count of the dead is 60,000. 60,000 lives lost because of the greed of one nation. So many millions affected by this recklessness. You know, what makes this war so bitter is the fact that they were also brotherly nations. Right? They share common heritage and language. So don't think that this message to Obadiah, the people of Israel, is one that is far from us. 
Indeed, as long as we live, the battle for God's people will continue, and the message is the same. We are deeply broken, and we need to be rescued. Now, how amazing it is that our God promises restoration, salvation to the Israelites, even while they were in captivity. He reveals to them his plan of rescue, even as the enemies of God's people are gloating over their demise. God says, I will rescue you. I have a plan for your salvation. Even when I am living in my own brokenness and my own sinfulness, God says, I am here to save you. I am here to rescue you. I have a plan for your goodness. And so understand that we might be suffering for a little while, a little while. But God is victorious overall. And God will bring about his goodness to all. You know, the Christian life that we live today is about living in sacrifice. Do you know, a word that was synonymous with Christianity in the, in the first couple of centuries was martyrdom, right? A martyr. We were called to sacrifice even our lives for the cause of Christ. The sad reality today is that we don't have martyrs in the church. I don't know of one martyr. Because we're prone to not seek sacrifice. We're prone to live in lofty dwellings. But the message of Obadiah should be clear to you now. Because lofty dwellings not as good as they seem. Better homes, better schools, better life, better car, better things. All these things that, that, that seem to elevate your life are meaningless to God. And here's a sad reality that many of us might share with the people of Edom is that some of us don't even know I'm, I'm living on a lofty dwelling. Some of you might be experiencing great wealth and prosperity and then what you look for is better security and comfort for myself. If my goal is to go on a better holiday next year. And perhaps you need to listen to the story of the Edomites who sought for their own comfort and what did God do? God took it away. And so perhaps you need to stop looking inwards you know, we're deeply selfish people. I'm not discounting myself here. We all are. We're deeply selfish people. I mentioned this in the 9 o'clock service, but you know there are people in church that complain about the comfortability of their chairs? Right? They're like, Pastor James, can we get better chairs? This is how broken we are. 
But perhaps there's some of you who are here that need to start giving. Stop building your own security and comfort. Start giving to those who are less fortunate. Perhaps some of you here need to be like a Barnabas to a friend in this church. Remembering that the church, the early church was defined by giving, not, not portions, giving everything. Everything. Maybe some of us need to be a brother or a sister who looks like Christ to someone else. Right? In Christ gave his life for us, maybe I need to start giving my life for my brothers and sisters here. If this is indeed a family of God, maybe I should start sacrificing for them. Now, understanding that our neighbors, our friends, our family is not someone who is thinking for us or thinking of us, but rather we need someone to act. We need someone to get in there. When I'm fallen and I'm broken and I'm dying on the side of the road, I need someone to come and help me. We need to be like Jesus. We need to be like the Good Samaritan. The truth is, we all think we're the Good Samaritan, but most of us live our life like the priest and the Levite. We're happy to go by the other side. You know, when there's brokenness in our churches, when I hear stories about corruption and, and abuse in the church, do you know what most people think? And, and, and I'm generalizing here. If this is not you, I apologize. Do you know what most people think? I'm so glad that wasn't my church. That's a priest. That's a Levite walking on the other side of the road. You know, we talk about restoration. We talk about redemption. We talk about salvation. But when a brother or a sister falls out of grace, accusations, finger pointing, criticizing, this is our reality. This is the world that we live in. This is how broken we are. Seek to be the good Samaritan, not because we are, but because Jesus came to save us. When we were dead, when we were spiritually dying to our own selfish greed and our own brokenness and sins, when we were on that road dying, Jesus came to save us. You know, the Good Samaritan tells us one thing. We need Jesus to rescue us. Because only, there is only one Good Samaritan, and that's Jesus. He gave everything so that you might live. He gave his life. He didn't care about wealth. He didn't care about possessions. He didn't care about what kind of house he had. He didn't care about what kind of car he drove. He didn't care about the kind of schools that my kids go to. As a father, my, my daughter's in, in, in turning, getting 
going up to fifth grade. And every parent's conversation is about schooling. Schooling. Every parent's conversation about their child is about schooling. Not how they're growing in their faith, not how they're worshiping God. This is, this is the church. This is God's people. We care more about our school, our kids' schooling than their faith. This is how broken we are, and this is how much we need Jesus Christ. Be like Him. Give everything that you have. Lest it becomes an idol in your life and it takes over your soul. Just, just practice giving. Give to God, to, to, to your brothers and sisters. Live every part of your life as a pleasant sacrifice to God. And please heed, not, not the words of me, but the words of Christ, right? Jesus says, right, as the teacher of the law said, the one who showed him mercy, Jesus said to him, you, you, you go and do likewise. You do likewise. We're all called to sacrifice and to serve for our fellow brothers and sisters there are brothers and sisters here who are suffering, who are too ashamed to share it with you, right? You need to go to them. You need to be what Jesus is to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we recognize the foolishness of the people of Edom who did not see that God stands against them for their selfish ways. Father, as the people of Israel were uh, doomed to destruction, they watched on and they participated in their downfall, perhaps celebrating their uh, wisdom and uh, their ability to uh, work in political affairs. Father, we recognize how foolish it is when we try to traverse this life without understanding that you are in control. No matter what we try, no matter what we do, Father God, we understand that your authority and power is over all of our lives. That you have a plan for us. That your will is sovereign over us. That even now you are working for our good. And so, Father God, we pray this morning that each and every one of us may seek to be like our Lord Jesus Christ in being a good Samaritan to our brothers and sisters that are next to us, to be like a Barnabas, Father, to give everything that we have, understanding that the value and worth of these things are meaningless in the kingdom of God. Understanding that we cannot take our accolades and our achievements to heaven. But all we have is Jesus Christ. And so, Father, if there's anyone here who is holding on to their wealth and possessions with two hands, Father, help them to let go. Help them to be a giver. Help them to share. Help them to look out for someone that is less fortunate. 
rather than building our own homes, our own security and comfort. Father, we pray that Cornerstone will be known for being a community that shares, that loves, that cares for one another greatly and in abundance. And so, Father God, we thank you this morning for the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us, who did not take value in the things of this world, but understood that they were temporary and did not last, that they were fleeting, and that he gave his life as an obedient, pleasing aroma to God. And so, Father, please encourage each and every one of us to be more like Jesus. Father, help us to follow in his footsteps. Help us to be obedient in every way as he was. And so, Father, we live in his perfection. Father, as he deems us, as he calls us, as he asks us to do likewise today, Father, may every single one of us turn to one another and be the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Father, may you be with this church. Father, may you be with the leaders of this church. Father, may you be with the pastors of this church. Father, may you be with all the children and, and, and the youth and, and the college. Father, as you have continued to bless them throughout these many years, Father, may you continue to allow them to prosper in their faith. And Father, may they be a spiritual uh, a light to the world, to this area in over. And Father, may you continue to work as you build them up for your glory. We thank you, God, that you are with us. Uh, we pray all these things in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.